0: Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high-income earners come to learn wealth-building strategies that will take them from high-income to high-net-worth with your hosts, financial and wealth-building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie.
1: Welcome into another episode of the Money Insights Podcast. We talk all things money and business. My name is Christian Allen. I'm here with Rodney the Pod. Zabrisky, Rod. What's up, man? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Okay, can I be honest with you? I'm a little frustrated today. And my reasoning, Rod, is because um, I got the. I, I was trying to follow Adam Carroll's advice. I am following Adam Carroll's advice and decided to use the shred method. Okay. So I decided, okay, we well, got to get a get a HELOC, right? Uh huh. And I was not very happy with the valuation I got back.
2: Oh, I see.
1: It was quite disappointing. In fact, Rod, I thought, and I am shocked that I was this far off. But I thought it was going to be about two hundred thousand dollars higher than it actually was. Crazy. So, yeah. so anyway, I'm a little annoyed today. But yeah, other than annoying. that, I guess I'm, I guess I'm good.
2: Hopefully, it gives you some room for uh, shredding <laughs> some debt.
1: Yeah, we can still, we can still shred some stuff. It was just, oh, you know.
2: Yeah, you I can't believe. The okay, so.
1: So just to kind of give some some reference point, um, I got this house in two thousand twenty one. Okay, it was two or it was one point two million, right? Um, I did the basement. We did the outside. We put we put a lot of money into the yeah, house did. in a lot of ways. Yeah, and we came back. This was really funny. The the AVM at the time, uh, which is just kind of what the banks use as like a baseline, mm-hmm. was. Uh, Was much lower. It was like a million sixty thousand or something like that. This is just a little. Then we got our first appraisal background, it was 1.225. So we gotten a little bit of quote unquote equity. Obviously, you know, doesn't really matter because you're not using it, but and and you spend Um, a lot of money to get there. Yeah. 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 But (laughs) but either way, we bought it at 1.2 and it was immediately appraised at 1.225. Right. We do all the work that we do and we put into it. The AVM comes back at one point three five. That's okay. what the bank says. And to. we're like, there's just no way that we're we're that low. So we might as well do the appraisal. That way we could, you know, potentially get more out. We don't really need this line mm-hmm. of credit. We're just doing it for the shredding, for shredding yeah. purposes, right? But we figured you might as well get as much as you can anyway, right? So that, that's the plan. Okay, Rod. So the AVM one point three four nine. We then do the appraisal. And it comes back after, right I hate to say this out loud, but I probably put 300000 into the house since we bought it. And it came back at a whopping $1,308,000. Less than the AVM.
2: I was that is, shocked. Yeah, that is disappointing.
1: I have no words. I have no words. It doesn't seem like it's quite accurate with what I'm seeing around here, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. here here we are. This is the life we're living right? What that tells me, though, is that real estate has to be going down despite like despite what the real estate people want to tell you that like it's still plugging along like mm -hmm. it it, it's dipping for sure
2: well especially if they're if they have comps out there right so there are Mm -hmm. people who are giving up what they probably maybe they originally listed it higher but they're having to give up some some of that to to get it sold so that that it's interesting
1: it's crazy Um, anyway, so that's, that's why I'm a little bit grumpy, but I'm going to get out of my grumpy mood and I'm going to focus on some good stuff. So let me set the stage for today, Rod. Um, oh, actually, before I do that, a couple of things, everybody make sure if you are not part of the Facebook group, go, go become part of it. It is investment strategies for high income earners. That's the Facebook group. We, we've got a, we got a bunch more traction. I think we have like, you know, 400 people or so, something like that. So we're we're getting some some people in it, but yeah. we need to keep growing it. Um, and then as we do that, we'll do some cool stuff. In fact, one of the things that we're going to switch up is we're going to stop doing our weekly Facebook live. And instead, we're going to do a probably a monthly webinar that we'll do more promotion around. Uh, we'll, we'll put a lot of preparation and time into it and make sure that we're really delivering value. So that's just kind of uh, something to be uh, looking for. Probably starting in the next, you know, less than a month, I'm thinking. Yep, sound good, Rod? Okay. Um, did I miss anything else? Oh, encourage questions. So today's episode, we're gonna be continuing on the conversation we had with asking Rod the tough questions. So, for a reference point, if you didn't catch the previous episode, I've been doing a bunch of reading and listening, and I've just been gathering questions and ideas. Thoughts that I want to get Rod's opinion on. Um, and I have pretty strong opinions on them too, but we're gonna start with Rod's opinion and man, I've got a long list. I've got a laundry list of que- of questions and ideas and things that I'm hearing out there in the mainstream financial world that just yeah. are making me roll my eyes and i'm I'm <laughs> hoping that like I'm trying to put my faith in you, Rod, that you can come and deliver something that I can say like, yes, yes, I agree with that. So anyway, um, I'll today do my best. we're going to con- continue that on, uh, without further ado, Rod, let's go to the question. Okay. One last thing. If you have questions, just go ahead and send them into rod at MoneyInsightsGroup dot com. That's right. Yep. Rod at money insights com, And he'll be great at getting back to you with responses or we'll bring it onto the pod. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay, Rod, let's do this. I, I don't even know where to start. I'm just gonna start picking questions because they're all they're all really good. Okay. All right. I'm Here ready. we go, Rod. What percentage of my income is reasonable to put toward my mortgage? There's a lot of talk out there on this. Yeah. So oh, yeah. what does Rod say
2: and why? I, I mean I've heard of a lot of different things, and I heard it mostly when I was first married and, and had didn't have a home. And we yeah. were trying to figure out, okay, when is it going to make sense for you? You want that, right? Uh, at least I did. I guess there are probably some people out there who feel okay with renting or whatever, but, but I felt this like drive to get into my own place, be building some equity. And yet, you know, I was not far out of, out of college. Maybe, you know, when we bought our first home, I think I was maybe a year out of college making, you know, 40,000 a big year bucks. or something. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I remember, well, I don't remember exactly what the percentage was, but it was high fifties, 60% or something of our, of my take home, like the, the net, the net income that landed in my, in our bank account, uh, in that deposit that we were putting toward our mortgage and people said, that's nuts, right? Like a lot of the gurus would say no more than 30 to 40%. Mm-hmm. I think is is would be like a high watermark that they would they would I think allow people true. to stretch to to do something like that. But more hey Rod,
1: to be um, fair, you probably took your mortgage out right in the
2: middle of the worst lending practices in history. Uh, we were we were actually right before that.
1: Oh, okay. Gosh, so
2: this you're, was you're in so old, Rod. I know I am. So this was in <laughs> two thousand one, I believe, that we bought end of two thousand one that we bought our first home. And it was actually good timing as it relates to just like we got on that first home and a couple of years later we decided to build a home and we had gained probably 20, 25% equity uh, or, um, increase in value, but just in that couple of years and transfer that into the new home, built that in. And, and we knew we were building it for someone, someone else. Cause we wanted to get somewhere else. Eventually. Uh, people heard me tell my story. We wanted to have our own business and, and it wasn't going to be where we were. So anyway, um, it was pretty good timing until we got to that next place. So gratefully we got to that next place and that's when everything came crashing down and we were quote I unquote see. stuck there for, but we were grateful. We were, we were kind of at the place we wanted to be anyway. So,
1: okay. So what's your answer, Rod? What, what should okay. you give? I would say the
2: recommendation the general public, I would say, I mean, if you could do it for, for 30%, that would be a reasonable number going Going forty to fifty percent, you have to really be disciplined in everything else that you're doing in your in your finances to you know feel good about that. So again, back going back to our situation, we didn't have a car payment, we didn't have student debt, right We didn't have a lot of things that I know a lot of people do have and and would obviously impact that that number. So I'm going to say forty to fifty would be high.
1: Okay. Okay. So here's my take on this Um, really quick. And then we'll move to the next one. I think it's different. It's pretty drastically different depending on the person situation and income level. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, if I make, you know, if you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a month, as an example, and you have a little higher percentage that goes toward housing than the average, as long as there's significant enough money to do the other things that you need to, then you're probably okay. Now, that said, I'm not suggesting that going, you know, 50% makes sense. I would say 25% is probably good. 25, 30% is probably a good number. Yeah. Um, I know Guardian, they Guardian, the life insurance company, they have their program, the living balance sheet, and yep. they say 15%. Yep. No more than 15% on living. So okay, that and and anyway, I, I think that uh 30 is a good number. So we're gonna stick with that. Okay, Sweet. Rod, next one. Let me get that one off the board. How much should I have in my emergency fund?
2: That's another great question. And again, obviously this one depends as well. So for someone who is a W-2 income earner where you're not having to take responsibility for a business or, you know, like this, this extra stuff. Um, I mean, I would say again it depends right cuz if you don't have a lot of expenses um, but for our crowd i mean i, I would say somewhere between 50,000 and 100,000 would be like yeah a reasonable emergency fund right yeah something okay. happens i need to to tide things over for several months then i think that would be a a reasonable number
1: okay so my number, Rod, is six months of savings in your emergency fund. Now, let me be clear. Emergency fund doesn't have to be the saving savings of the bank. My emergency mm-hmm. fund could be in other places that actually create real value. We talk yeah. about life insurance, obviously, being a good one. Yep. So um, that would be a great place to hold it. And if you did that and you're earning, you know, like actually creating additional value, then, you know, even going higher than that is pretty reasonable i have a question you, especially if you have a business
2: oh yeah then it it takes a different level because then it depends on like uh what your monthly your payroll and everything yeah Yeah. a bunch of a bunch of stuff like that overhead all those things would would come into play and so i think it's not unusual to have a couple hundred thousand dollar fund for for a business like that who maybe the revenue is two to three million a year or something right
1: 100% accurate rod Okay, what was your question Uh, for me?
2: Yeah, so I have a question back. Would you include in that? So when you say emergency fund, we always think about cash sitting in, like you said, a bank account or a, a cash value life insurance policy. Would you include access to debt in that? Or and specifically, like I mean, obviously credit cards could be part of that, and but even like having a line of credit set up at your bank. Yes. I think I would. Okay.
1: Now, obviously from like a like a get to it in like as quickly as possible. Maybe it's a little slower, but you can get to your line of credit, you know, basically as quickly as you can get to your any other money at the bank, right? Yeah. yeah. So with that being the case, yeah, I absolutely think it it makes sense.
2: Yeah. Cuz basically we're talking about liquidity. And that yep. so I would agree. As that- long
1: as it's there, as long as you have it available, you can cover those difficult situations that may come up cuz again, You've just got to be able to cover emergencies and have a path back, right? Yeah. So as long as there's enough there, then it, it or as long as it's a piece of the total pie, then I think
2: it's great. Yeah, because I've heard people talk on this, and and they would recommend to people to not even set up those kinds of lines of credit. And to me, it, I just mm. always felt like that was, one of two things. The biggest thing, I think, is probably that they wouldn't trust themselves to not tap into it. Because yep. otherwise, it's just a, an opportunity sitting there that you can use if, if you want to. But if you don't, then it's just you're not paying interest on on it unless, unless you take money out, right?
1: Man, Rod, you are teasing us perfectly or, for my next question.
2: Okay, so that was number one. Or the second one would just be, like you mentioned a minute ago, not having a way to get back out of it. So if you did yeah. need to get into it and then got stuck. And all of a sudden you have this, you know, whatever interest rate on, on this line of credit. Now you're it just, you just
1: increased your, problem, your debt. But here's the thing. If you were running down that path anyway, like you probably, you probably were going to run out of it regardless. Mm-hmm. So like you might as well try to tap into it, cover the expenses, get yourself back on track. If it, if it's possible, seems like it doesn't seem like a lot of downside. I do yeah. get the idea that, you don't want to, if you're not, if you're not someone that has any discipline, that's not fair. If You're not, per, if you're not a person that has enough discipline to avoid overspending, mm-hmm. then you're right. It might make more sense to just avoid that altogether. But Rod, that is what gets us into our next question. Sweet. And this one, this one's one that could, we could go deep in this one. Um, We'll just see how it goes. Okay. You ready okay. for it? I'm ready. Is personal finance more about the numbers? Or is it more about behavior? Ooh. All right. Is personal, All right. Okay. One more time. Is personal finance more about the numbers or is it more about individual behavior? Cause that's really the debate we were just having, right? Yeah. I set up the line of credit and do I have the ability or the, the discipline to not tap into it for something that's not important. That's not mm-hmm. an investment opportunity Can I do that? And if it's supposed to be my emergency fund, can I leave it there as my emergency fund?
2: Yeah, yeah, this is a great question.
1: But 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 it's it's so much deeper than that too, Rod. Because Mm -hmm. you think about when we get to the question about mortgage, like whether I pay off my mortgage or whether Mm -hmm. I take more money and invest in it, or all basically, um, you know, any type of well investment or strategy or whatever, it comes down to generally speaking. Both the numbers and the behavior, right? They kind of have to come together. But the question right. again, and we're going to try to, I'm going to make you pick. Okay. <laughs> okay. You can't say both. That doesn't work. Now you can, you can give us some context. I mean, yeah, you could maybe, maybe lean one. May- I'm okay. So I'm willing to let you lean one way, but I'm, but you still have to give us an answer. And then yeah. I promise I will also give an answer. I've thought a lot about this one.
2: Okay. Well, I'm going to surprise you on this because I am going to pick one. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Gosh, I am excited. And I mean, okay, so first my, my inclination would be to say both because clearly they both matter. That's why it's a debate, right? Yep. Yeah. But I would say it's more about behavior. And here's why. Ah, okay. Yeah, tell okay? me. The numbers, clearly important. They have to make sense. But I think it's more about the plan and the decision-making around the numbers that that makes it work, right? So go back to what we were just talking about a minute ago. If you have that line of credit and you're just willy-nilly using it with with no plan, with no uh, foresight into what you're going to do to to pay it off or whatever, then you can dig yourself into a hole and create credit problems and all kinds of different things like that, right? Um, On the other hand, if you have... Like we use the word discipline. That's obviously a critical piece. And part of that discipline is to going in, you know what you're going to do. You have a plan, right? And and I would say in most cases, you would also think about a backup plan. I'll give you an example, another example. And on the investment side, I, I talked with a lot of people every day, right? And these days, the big thing is uh, that people will express their thoughts about how their investments are going right now. Right. And I I get it. Like if you're in if you're in an investment and they have a, a capital call or or they're having to do a fire sale or something and you're looking at hopefully hope, hoping just to get back out what you put into it. There's a lot of anxiety around that. Right. And I totally okay, is get that, that
1: what you're feeling right now?
2: Well, not personally, I don't. People
1: almost No, no but, not but, you oh, yeah. personally, but as you're hearing from clients, our investors, yeah. that they're just like hopeful to get. Their money back out of their syndication deal or whatever. Right? Yeah, now. there
2: are those okay. who, are, who are coming to the conversation, feeling this, and and just really frustrated and and anxious about it. And I totally get it. I'm not, I'm not suggesting they shouldn't be frustrated about that because there were expectations going in. They put money out; it's money they don't have now to yeah. to do anything else with, etc. There's again hoping to get back out what they put in. On the other hand, uh, a lot of it depends on your expectation going in okay so for example uh w- when i invest in a syndication i hope that there's a turnaround on that within two to three years that would be great uh, f- even five years but i plan on more like a five to seven year cycle on that money coming back to me right and understanding the risks and changes and other things that can happen over a i mean five to seven years that's a a long time right it feels like it um, passes quickly but but yeah Yeah. in the economy in general right so um i think a lot of it is the plan going in the the expectation going in and then also being open to contingency plans because that's ultimately what the syndicators are, are having to deal with right now it's not that they didn't think that interest rates could ever go up right they were they were the banks were forcing them to buy caps even if they didn't weren't choosing to themselves um, but there's a lot a lot that goes around that and I, I want to get I don't want to get into all of that right now but I guess my point is from from the investor side the numbers will fall out the way they fall out as the investor how did I go in with a plan uh, with a an expectation and then how do I treat that now not just, the actual decisions I make, but the emotions that come with it, because those emotions are going to dictate what I do moving forward. Right.
1: Right. I have some strong feelings about this. All right. And and my reason,
2: the first thing that came to my
1: mind was the episode we did about uh, Dave Ramsey or with Dave, where we were kind of doing debunking some of Dave's. Yeah. Yeah. And if you recall, a lot of the ideas that Dave suggests are basically like, you don't have the ability to do the right thing, to do the things that make sense, that's logical with the numbers. Therefore you should do this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So yep. he's basically saying it's all about behavior.
2: Right? Yeah.
1: And because people don't have discipline and behavior, we're not even, so I had to break this into two parts. Okay. Cause the first, cause again, that first part that came to me was like, I was like, you can't just go tell people, like give people the behavior that they need to do without having the validation of the actual numbers. Like at the end of the day, my job as an educator is to teach people what really works. Mm-hmm. At least that's my belief, right? Sure. So so I'm like passionate about this idea that when when you're coming at it from an educator, you have to give people the real story. We can't just assume that they can or can't do it we Mm -hmm, have to assume mm -hmm. that that everybody has the ability to if given the information so my problem okay so so here's the way i look at it from an educator standpoint i 100 think that we have to we have to focus on the numbers and teaching people how it works and then we have to you know get into the behaviors obviously those but those are kind of like obvious rod any adult knows that the behaviors have to be done with it like Mm-hmm. And and I'm not going to be there in their backyard or like sitting next to people and like making them choose not to go take a stupid loan out of their HELOC. Right? Mm-hmm. What I can do is teach them that it's jackassery to do that to buy something stupid because you know they're losing it. They're losing real value from a numbers perspective. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but then you have to look at it from like a consumer investor perspective. And then it goes back to what you're saying. So here's my belief on this. I still think my belief is that it's about the numbers, uh, or or it should be about the numbers. Mm -hmm. But it often is about the behavior. Therefore, what? Therefore, what? That's kind of the question. And I think what we have to do as educators is teach people the numbers, teach people the logic, and then help them you know, with resources to be able to execute on whatever the strategy is they have in place. But again, I just feel like the numbers are super critical, Rod. I don't know the numbers, but, and I know everybody's going to say behavior is more important. Um, but all I can say is if you're, if you're doing well, okay, let, let's, I want to throw an example out there. Okay. Right. So let's just, this is really simple. Like, just very baseline, but we see this kind of thing all the time, right? Let's just say theoretically, well, this isn't even the- theoretical now that I think about it. This is like every day, right? So you go into a conversation with somebody and they're like, hey, I've got my, you know, I've got my emergency fund. Uh, I'm pretty nervous about it. So I I went with a five-year emergency fund, right? Okay. And I, I'm just, I've got to make sure I keep that safe liquid close to me at the bank so i'm just keeping it in my savings account right so i've got a half million dollars in my savings account um and and then rod's over here and he's like he's like oh well i, I know what you could do to like get some more value out of that even even if you want to keep it safe and liquid and all these other things but you can also like grow it so that in 10 years instead of all still being worth five hundred thousand, it's worth $800,000 right, as an mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say there's no additional risk associated with it or very little. Okay. Yeah. So here's my thought. While they obviously have the choice to continue to put that money in a bank account and get no value out of it. It's just ridiculousness, right? At the end of the day, it's still stupid. So you, so the numbers have to be followed. You have to actually look at baseline logic, right? I don't know what else to say about
2: it. <laughs> Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. And that's, that's why, again, that's why it's a debate, right? (laughs) It's kind of like, it's kind of like, is it with, with kids, is it, is it nurture or is it nature? Right. Again, I'm not going to get into that debate. A little bit of both. I'm just saying that it's similar because I picked a side because I feel like, you know, that was the more critical side, but I'm by no means saying the, the numbers don't matter because they absolutely do. So my in response to that, all I would all I would say is that it, it's going back to kind of my idea of the plan. Uh, you can have a plan, and sometimes our plans are ridiculous, or at least, at least the application of the plan. Okay, and if it is, plan, I would say that's a stupid plan. <laughs> and I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. Okay. Because, again, uh, uh, were all my plans great? Okay, so having... Uh, in my in that first mortgage, more than fifty percent of my income going towards bad idea. Rod, was it was it good? And the other thing that we had is we have a we had a seven year arm, and and I had people telling me, well, that's that's silly too, right?
1: Yeah, and you re- you but we only we lucked
2: only, out. You managed it though, huh? As it turned out, we only had the the home for a couple of years. All right, so it a, worked out anyway. It it did, but but understandably, there are situations and t- timing matters. Were, maybe it wouldn't have worked out.
1: So, okay,
2: Rod. Couple
1: more questions. Okay. Um, Sorry. and I have like I I have one that we could do a lightning round on. Do we want to do a lightning Ooh, round? Yeah. Okay. I, like I will. I'll do a lightning round round here in just a minute. Couple more questions. A little more thought, and then we'll go lightning round style. Okay. Deal. Um. Okay, Rod. What do I do if I want to retire early, but I've saved all my money? And qualified plans. Too bad. That's it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no options. Sorry. Good Good night. That's it. Okay. What are my options? What do I do if I'm that person?
2: Okay. Well, if that's all you've done, then I would, I mean, there's, there are some things you can do. There's a 72 T and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but that only get depending on how much you saved. Like, yeah, if you have. $5 million bucks and you only need a hundred thousand of income then the 72 then the 72t T knocks it out yeah you'll yeah. be fine uh <laughs> okay. but if you only have two million and you need the hundred thousand not so much that's not gonna, not work. gonna do as well so uh i mean and and you can just cash it out you can cash it out okay so the i think Pay the, the obvious
1: one is to do the roth conversion backdoor mm-hmm. roth whatever you want to call it. They they have every time I go listen to new podcasts, they have like an extra word that's added on to the backdoor Roth. I think there's like the laddered backdoor Roth now, Mm -hmm. which is really important because I I heard someone break it down and they were like, okay, so they broke down the backdoor Roth for what it was. I'm not going to go into that. But then they said, and it's, and laddered means that we do it
2: every year. (laughs) I know. Brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) anyway. Yeah. And I can see some wisdom in that because if you, if you don't have any forethought into it and you get into that, that five-year rule, you, you do the backdoor Roth. And then if you don't wait five years before you start taking the income out of that, then. Okay. So the, the key then is you've got to start planning
1: before. Like that's, yeah. that's kind of what you're getting at. You're, yeah. you're basically saying if I just get there and I've done no planning before that point in time, then my options are going to be pretty limited. The backdoor Roth doesn't help immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Or maybe, maybe not as much as I needed to immediately. And like you said, I have a five year, I have a five year rule that I've got to be dealing with. So it's not one of those things that I suddenly have access to all the money that I need. Um, I have to make a plan ahead of time. Same thing. The 72 T obviously, like you said, you can get some money out of that, but it's difficult. So I think the moral of this story is don't put all of your money in qualified plans. Particularly yeah. if you want to retire before that magic
2: age of 59 and a half. yep okay. okay And Rod. And if you did, if you find yourself in that situation where you have, get out of it. I mean don't I'm not saying take all your money and get and move it all immediately but but do something more than what you have been doing up to this point.
1: Uh, okay, so the first key is probably chain. change. change mm-hmm. the behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, ah. I'm working. I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to retire now. I've got all my money in qualified plans, but the good news is next year I'm putting another 80 k in my four hundred and one k.
2: Yeah, that's not gonna work. And and that's what your CPA is gonna keep telling you to do if that's what they've been telling you to do. Um, mm, 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 mm. You have to look at it differently. And don't because, don't do that. Yeah, you you just you're just digging yourself a bigger hole. And and we've seen people where they say, well, I'm I'm all in there but I'll just move it over to a self-directed and go and invest it in real estate or in these other things. And I mean, we've just seen situations where people get 10 years down the line after having done that, and they just feel like they dug themselves a bigger hole because on the one hand, they're really grateful about the, the growth they've been able to create, their ability to be more in control of what, what the investments are doing for them. But still, not real happy about. Okay, still now all that money is is in these qualified plans, and now what do I do? And kind of yeah, this moment of panic of oh, I'm 55, I want to retire, but I can't easily do that without just you know taking some penalty and and doing it.
1: Okay, Rod. This next question. This is the final question that we're going to get into detail on. All right. right. So once once you're through this, you've got to start thinking. Short and fast. Okay. Okay. Like, like three word, may- maybe even one word answers. Okay? Oh, so yeah, just be prepared right. for that. Well, this is going to be. This difficult. is something
2: I like about you, Christian, is you prepare me for things like that. So thank you.
1: Yep. Okay. Um, but you don't have to do that on this one because this one, this one's a little bit. It's going to take a little bit more context. I think this is a good mm-hmm. question. It's a question we get periodically, fairly frequently. Do the capital avalanche and investment optimizer strategies work? Even for people who are older, and I'm thinking specifically 60 and up. Okay. Why or why not? What are you seeing out there? G- g- maybe help give us an example. Well, I'm not actually. Just go with it where you want to go.
2: Okay. Well, the answer is yet that it can. Okay, so I'll start there. Okay. A lot of okay. people just so assume it's not that like it an
1: unequivocal right. yes or no. It's it certainly can. Okay.
2: Yeah. And really, it just depends on the time frame. So let's start with investment optimizer first. Investment optimizer is something you're putting the money in, you're going to use those dollars for investing. Uh, There are some upfront costs to do that, which is true no matter your age, right? So it depends on how long you're going to plan on continuing to invest. If I'm starting an investment optimizer policy, I'm 60, I'm going to retire at 65, I'm going to do no more investing after that. So I plan on putting the money in and then being able or wanting to take it all back out uh, when I'm 65 probably doesn't make any sense for me to do that. Right. On the other hand, if I'm 60, I'm going to invest for the next, even if I'm just investing for the next five years, but I'm going to let the money be in the policy beyond that and methodically take the income out of it. Then it absolutely can make some sense. Right.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah.
2: So, that's the can context. I, can I throw on... one
1: other thought out on this? Yeah. So the other, the other thought on the investment optimizer side, and really it applies to both. But we, in that in that stage of life, we can and have gotten creative in using like children as the as an insured yep. inside of the uh, multi generational legacy planning concept that we've done a podcast on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even in a situation, let's say that we have someone that's seventy two years old they're interested in the investment optimizer because they're still investing. They m- might as well be effective with it. Yeah, um, That could be an option. And like you said, age is probably less critical as it relates to the investment optimizer than um, it is in the capital avalanche.
2: Yeah, we'll you do that. bring up a good point though because there does come a point in time where where the policy just isn't going to work. And as a general yep. rule, once someone gets into their 70s, it's, it's harder to build an efficient policy that will ultimately give you that value. Part of it has to do with time frame and just part of it has to do with those costs. Yep. That's it. I was just gonna say most of
1: it is a time a timing issue, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not that it won't create value, continue to grow both from a cash value and death benefit perspective, but it won't hit the numbers that we talk about. So we're kind of using the standard being growing at around 5%. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do that if you're 72 years old, right? right. It yep. probably going to be two or 3% and it's going to take longer to get to a break-even point. Uh, so, so I think those are things that are important. Okay. Yeah. Rod, talk a little bit about capital avalanche because that one has more of a, has a longer waiting period.
2: Mm-hmm. And here again, it, it depends on the, uh, your plans. Okay. So again, let's take someone who's, who's 60, who says that, oh, I need to be able to start taking income at 65. Don't 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 plan on that for the capital avalanche unless you have other assets and you, you kind of phase into your income, meaning you, you take the initial income from somewhere else. And then when you become 72, 73, and then you're ready to start taking the income from the capital avalanche, then that's great. Right.
1: Okay, Rod. So here's a question I think you can answer pretty hard and fast for us. How long generally do you think someone needs to let the capital avalanche or a holding period before taking income from it?
2: Great question. In the, what what we're generally showing in the webinars and whatnot, where you do a a single uh, contribution and then we're financing everything after that, plan on waiting twelve to thirteen years before we're creating something that's meaningful okay. coming back out. Okay,
1: so that's important, right? And and the reason I asked the question is if you're if you're 58 and you want to have money, you want to kick that money in at 70, then you're great. Like that's yeah. no problem. Right. Yeah. But if you're 65 and want to have it at 70, that's not gonna work. Right. So that I think that helps because at the end of the day we can all look at that and say Okay, if I need to let it bake for twelve or thirteen years, then I know whether it makes sense. Okay. Yeah. But you have a you have a but to this.
2: Yeah, because there are things that we can do to speed that up. If instead of just doing a single year and then turning the financing after that, if you've funded it for multiple years, like you're you're funding out of pocket for two or three or even more years, then we can speed that up. So so you you know you do say it's the 60-year-old and they're saying, well, you know, maybe around 67, 68, I want to be able to start taking income off of this. Well, if, okay. if we then fund it for three or four years before we start turning on the financing, now we're still getting leverage out of it, creating more income in the future than they would be creating on their own with just their dollars going in. But but we're creating more uh, liquidity, more more equity going in, which means that we can start taking income sooner, more kind of meaningful income sooner. So we can hit that seven, eight year timetable.
1: You could also partially fund any given year, right? Sure, absolutely. So you could say, hey, um, instead of like maybe the the total amount that's being borrowed each year is two hundred thousand dollars, and I'm going to put in, you know, fifty thousand every single. Maybe you put in two hundred thousand year one, and then you have some number that you just continually put in. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things we can do to be creative and run the numbers and see what works and makes sense for for people. But here's here's the question then, Rod, is it worth it from your perspective? And this is hard because obviously you sell the concept, but like from your perspective is it worth it? Like is someone getting the same or similar value if they're not leveraging it as highly, they're putting more money, pumping more money into it?
2: I think it depends on the alternative. Cuz typically what happens is if someone says, well, if I wasn't doing this, I would be investing in real estate and I'm very comfortable doing that. I have good success doing that. I have an expectation of what kind of return I can get and and confident in my ability to to continue doing that then you know that their answer might be well, I'm better off just continuing to do what I've done and seen success with and and want to continue to do
1: now More that off- said rod the real estate market has been hot for. 12, 13 years and suddenly things. So, so I'm guessing there's more people who are looking at this as more of a debate than they were in the past. Right. Right. If I was like, Hey, I throw money at a syndication and make 20% no matter where I go. Mm -hmm. Well, heck yeah. But if I throw money at a syndication and I'm worried, I might not get my money back versus putting something in that I, am you know, I maybe I'm only going to generate 10% IRR on. Well,
2: Or it's a little bit more going Back to what I said a minute ago about the the timing of the syndication. If I am putting that money in and I'm saying, well, I really am going to need that in three years, I'm counting on them turning everything around and giving me my money back by in three years. Well, that's probably just an unrealistic expectation. Or or not something that would be wise going in to plan on. Okay. Right? So so a lot of those other things would depend as well. But you know, so to your point, we have a lot of people who are saying, okay, well, I have this money that's building up over here. And in the past, I've really liked getting it into other investments, but maybe I'm in a place where I want to diversify, so to speak, uh, away from some of those things and, and do something different and that builds in a different way, but still uses those same principles of leverage and whatnot, then then it can be a good way to complement or, or kind of supplement what you've been doing on the other side.
1: Okay. Okay, Rod, I think we're going to leave that and we're going to going to move to our lightning round. Okay. Okay. So, I'm going to do I'm trying to decide. I have like maybe 12 to 13 more questions. I think I'm going to do like 5 to 7 of them. Okay. Okay. Um so here we go. Okay, Rod. Number 1. Save money before paying my expenses or after? Before. Number two, use a credit card or just avoid credit cards altogether. Use. Oh, gotcha.
2: I'm going with the one word answers. Did you notice that? Start my own business or work for someone else. Oh, wow. That's a tough one. I, um, <laughs> me personally, I say work work for yourself. Start your own business.
1: Okay. Okay. And here's the thing. We also encourage people. To create side gigs and things like that because of like the tax benefits. So I think uh, while it's not right for everybody to own and run a business, it's probably a good idea to start a business. Okay. Um, Invest in like index funds or individual stocks? (laughs) Index funds. Okay. (laughs) Buy a home or rent. Buy. Fifteen or thirty-year mortgage. Thirty. I thought you were going to say forty. That's what I was going to say. Forty. <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. Uh, oh, this one's really good, Rod. Whole life or term insurance? A whole life. <laughs> it I guess on depends on the Say both. But yeah, right. right. There's, per, there's Okay, room we'll say for both. both. Um, pay off my student loans first or last. Woo, talk to all the physicians out there that are, you know, 48 and still have
2: uh, student loans. What do you think, Rod? Yeah. I, I mean, I want to say last, but I also feel like I need to give some context on that because I'm saying that assuming that you still have a, a decent re- interest rate on that. If okay. you're, you're not paying eight, 9% on that, then that would obviously feel different. And, and, you know, but if it's, if okay, it's Rod, four. All.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think we, what you're saying makes sense. Um, Okay, I'm. I want to save some of our questions for later. So okay. I'm gonna. We're gonna wrap this thing up. Okay, before we do, I have a very specific request for our listeners. Okay, my request is if you found this episode of the Money Insights podcast valuable, please share with two, not more than that, not five or less, or less, not one. <laughs> we need two of your friends, people that you think can value, can get value from it. One of our goals um, over the next year is to really lock in and grow the podcast. So we appreciate all the loyal listeners and the support you give us. And uh, anyway, so thank you all for listening. Uh, We appreciate your support and we will see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.